session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. Evening, welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Dulaku, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in 310-441-0555. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcasts on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Again, our studio number 310-441-0555. Uh, usually I do the books on Monday, but I've been having guests. But today I was trying to get some guests uh, guests to come in, but was not able to make that happen. So I'll be doing the book on Wednesday. And it's a book that um, I, I was very happy to get to read called On Revolutions by six social scientists who have studied social movements, uprisings, and revolutions, trying to understand what makes them become what they become, and even recognizing that sometimes the ways we look at them can be limiting as far as the dichotomies of, let's say, successful versus unsuccessful, um, violent versus nonviolent, things of that nature. So I uh, wanted to just for myself be more informed about um, this whole concept and area of research of looking at revolutions and social movements because I've heard a lot, I've seen a lot. Uh, of people talk about it and give their comments, but wanted to hear from some experts. And so finishing up that book, don't have too much of it left, but we'll share it on on Wednesday's show. And so I think it's important also to note, as I mentioned, I read the book because I recognize, uh, we think we know a lot of things about what's going on. We feel things. And so something that's been happening with this, the situation, the current situation in Iran, which is of course, not just about the current situation, but what's happening now has brought up so many feelings and emotions for people um, about what's going on, from intense anger and rage that they have towards the regime, their own sadness from things they've experienced, maybe even they experienced decades ago, Um, also intense sadness for what we are seeing uh, every day, which is limited because of the... uh, reduced internet access for the people of Iran. And of course, most things don't get captured on video or on camera. So we don't see a lot of what's going on, but we do see is is continually heartbreaking and and difficult to see. So uh, I'm seeing a lot of um, intense emotions. I'm experiencing a lot of intense emotions myself, but seeing them in people all all around me, clients that I I see, um, every one of them essentially is being affected by them that are Iranian affected by what's going on. And so these intense feelings are something we have to be very aware of and how they are affecting us. Uh, I mentioned this last week because some of my preliminary research into things like social movements, revolutions, keeps pointing to the notion that these things tend to take time. And so, of course, every situation is unique. Every situation can surprise us. So we think we know how something works and then there's a black swan event that we don't expect. So um, I'm very much aware that what I can predict, and I don't even want to make predictions, um, is very limited. The only, if you don't want to call it a prediction or it's maybe a precaution, is that I think we have to be ready that this could be a very long 
or longer than we might hope for sure, but longer than maybe even we expect type of a thing. It might be, and we don't know, I can't say for sure, but I do think it's important to keep in mind because we might, in our support, have to keep this going for a while. And so we have to be aware of how it's affecting us, things like burnout and getting overwhelmed, and then compassion fatigue is very common. So compassion fatigue or a collapse of compassion is something that we recognize in a lot of areas it'll show up where you would just think that if you care about something, then you'll keep caring about it. It would make sense in a way. Or if you care about something, if the situation becomes worse, well, you should care more, right? If someone is suffering a little bit and you get sad by that or upset by that, if they're suffering even more, we would expect it would just make sense. Of course, you just care more, you get more upset. But what can happen is that if we feel overwhelmed by something or if we don't think it's going to get better, it could be easier for us to stop caring or to not care. And so what we see, for example, is they tell people a few people are suffering, let's say a few children are suffering, and people care a lot and they want to do something about it. Then we tell them that, oh, there's actually 100,000 kids who are suffering in this way. And now, again, we would think if it's a few kids, that's a tragedy. 100,000 kids, it's even a bigger tragedy. All of a sudden, we can see that people might care less or they'll just shut down essentially their caring and justify it with something like, well, maybe that's just the way it's supposed to be or there's nothing we can do or maybe it's okay some people don't have and some people have will do mental gymnastics to try to justify the situation and somehow get to the conclusion that this is a fair situation, that whatever is going on in the world is fair, because there's something we get from that, a psychological concept called the need for a just world. This is also why we blame victims. So someone gets uh, sexually assaulted and they're going for a run, we're like, well, maybe they shouldn't have been running at that time, or they shouldn't be outside, or they shouldn't have you know, gone alone. All things that probably we ourselves have done many times, but now in a way to try to justify what happened to make some kind of balance. Okay, well, it's not like something randomly bad happened to them. They did something. And so I can protect myself. It gives me a sense of control that I can prevent what happened to that person. So we're very good at uh, justifying things going on in the world to try to feel okay and so often when people, many people are suffering to a degree where we feel like we can't help or the suffering seems too big or overwhelming, we can choose to give up and give in rather than to stay upset or stay uh, in a compassionate and caring mind to do something about it. And so I could see that happening in a larger scale and something I want us to be mindful of. Uh, I think I'll keep talking about this concept because I already see it happening at times. I've heard people say, well, what's the point of, 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 you know, doing these things? Is it making a difference? And the truth is, it does seem like it is, um, but also the results are going to come more likely over time. It's going to be a slower process. So I just highly encourage those of you who do care, which I'm sure it's pretty practical, all of you listening, um, to make sure that as cliche as it sounds that you are aware of yourself and taking care of yourself, it's not going to be some marathon that if you put your whole life uh, on hold for another week, it's going to end. It can, but just making sure you take care of yourself at a basic level, but keep doing the things, but doing things in a way that you have balance. And related to that, I think 
there is such an influx of information out there, videos, commentaries, you know, posts, tweets, pictures, videos that we see. And of course, I think it's very important to stay informed and stay connected to what is going on. But again, we do have to be aware of how it affects us because it will take some time. And sometimes there can be a beneficial um, level and beneficial information that we might gain, even if it makes us feel uncomfortable. And then it could get to a point where we're just hurting ourselves and getting stuck in some spiral, watching the same um, disturbing video over and over and over again. So I don't think we should turn away. We have to see it and face it and, and share it and make sure it's out there. But we do have to be aware of, is it really even helping? Sometimes there's a sense that if I keep watching this video somehow, uh, I, I'm doing something or I'm caring about them. I would say watch it to be informed, share it in whatever ways you feel is uh, important. And, and then be mindful of not just getting stuck in some loop where you're watching the same things over and over. I've talked to many people who have found themselves like that. I've been there. I've almost every day some news. Yesterday I saw the news of a seven-year-old girl who was killed and it just, you know, it was just, I couldn't comprehend that. And there's a picture of her. I'm sure you've seen it. And it's just heartbreaking to see these images and these things that we are witnessing. So we have to accept that it's going to affect us too. So I say this on one hand, be mindful of how it affects you, but don't avoid it because it doesn't feel good. This is something that I, I try to um, preach on this show a lot, that what we do naturally, that's how our feelings work, is you go away from the ones that don't feel good and you go towards the ones that feel good. That's just how feelings essentially are working and they really do function in that way and serve us well in a lot of ways. However, to live a good life, we can't avoid the feelings that don't feel good in every area of life when you're trying to um, professionally advance, when you're trying to advance in your relationships, you have to have uncomfortable conversations and approach things in a certain way. In our own lives, we just, of course, give in to what feels good. It's a very hedonistic lifestyle that leads to us being very unhealthy in a variety of ways. So we can't just give in to the good and, and go away from the bad. We have to be conscious of this. And so I don't want anyone to think that because it makes you sad, I would think you should avoid it completely. Absolutely not. I think that if you stay connected to the world in general, you will have to feel bad sometimes if you want to be connected to this world, because unfortunately there are sad things that happen. Um, sad things happen to ourselves, sad things happen to people around us, but then globally there are heartbreaking and sad things that are happening. And so we can either choose to avoid the reality and try to keep ourselves comfortable and in this bubble, or we have to face it and see that reality and accept it and recognize that the only way we can do something about it is if we face it. I think it's a James Baldwin quote that not everything can be fixed or helped, but only things that are faced can be helped. Basically, only if you face something can you do something about it. So um, I also last week talked about staying focused not on just the results of what's happening, but on our responsibility as individuals in what's happening. So if you look at, well, is my post doing something? Um, is showing up to a protest doing something? It's hard to see a tangible result. I saw oftentimes on Monday nights, Amir is here in the studio, actually saw him and his wife, Roya, at uh, the, the Saturday protests in Sherman Oaks here near Los Angeles. And it was very nice to see them, but 
could any of the three of us think that being there made a difference? It's hard to say one person showing up makes a difference, but all of us showing up does make a difference. And we can focus on our responsibility as individuals. Did I do what I can do? Everything that I can do. And last week, people called in and there was ways that they were trying to contribute. Some people with some technological advice uh, and expertise that they have. Other people sharing the words with uh, uh, the news with non-Iranian people to get them aware of what's going on as well. Because something that is going to be happening is we keep sharing it amongst ourselves, which is good to keep us informed, but it won't spread the information unless we reach out to people that aren't seeing the news themselves already. And so a variety of ways, even for myself, reading this book about revolutions was something that I felt, okay, maybe I can be more informed and understand. And if in some way that can either lend some support or understanding to others as well, that could be good. So we could be creative in meeting that responsibility and what we can do. But I hope we don't focus just on the result because we will get tired quickly if we only focus on results and we might not see change or tangible changes immediately. So we have to keep focusing on our responsibility. What can I do? What can I do to do more? How can I help in some way? And related to that, something I've been very careful because I think it's important is not to share or give advice to the people of Iran of what they should be doing or how they should um, focus on things or take action or not take action or whatever it might be. Um, When I'm talking in general, of course, if they're listening, giving them all of my love and support um, in whatever I can. But of course, knowing that I can't guide them there, that's not going to be any role that I could have. But I will be talking to those of us outside of Iran, myself included, of what we can do. And so all we can do is amplify and share their voices. And today I saw this video, this young woman sharing the things that she's uh, upset about and things that they are experiencing and even sharing, I thought, very poignantly that why are you not even asking us what we're upset about the the people of iran you see how upset we are the government talking the government why wouldn't you even want to know what's upsetting us what's bothering us to try to understand it and i think that's very telling and that's really the voices i think we have to amplify are those of the people who are in iran and what they are expressing and of course what they're going through and sharing that footage to the world knows and does not remain silent a last point before the commercial break it's also uh, you know hard to know obviously what's going on with uh, things moving so fast information being limited internet being limited um el naz rakabi i think the um the iranian uh, athlete who competed in the rock climbing competition without her hijab and got I, I posted it, people were posting it. Then today I heard the news that she was missing, but then I got many messages from people saying she's here or she's there or she's back in Iran or, and I don't know, I just saw a message saying that uh, from uh, a journalist or not a message, but a post saying that she went back to Iran a few days earlier than expected. And so people are concerned, but please don't quote me on that because I, I think it's uh, there's a lot of incomplete information at this point, but that's, another tough part as well so we have to to know the trusted news sources we have gisu uh, nia last week shared some of those on the show as well so it's difficult it's a lot there's confusion there's lack of knowing there's definitely lack of knowing what's going to happen that uncertainty is very difficult uncertainty is one of the most difficult things for us to experience sometimes even when you're waiting for let's say 
results of a medical exam, you'd rather know even if it's bad news because you can do something about it. But when we don't know, it's a very uh, freezing type of a feeling. So I think people want to know what's going to happen. And we might look to people to give us the answers, but it's going to be hard to know. People might have some ideas, some predictions based on some understanding and knowledge, but no one knows. And that also is a difficult thing that we are all experiencing. Of course, hoping for the best, but not knowing what the outcome will be. Let's go to a commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Continuing the discussion on the situation in Iran and how it is affecting or can be affecting us and what we can do about it. Um, you know, the news this weekend that people saw, I, and myself, uh, from Evin prison, and it's a horrific uh, example of what we're witnessing and also I think exemplifies some of what we experienced the lack of knowing exactly what's going on the at times misinformation that we're likely receiving from government officials but also unknown information I, I very heartbreaking now to think of it but when people heard the news I was um, around some people at the protests and they thought it was a act of protest the um fire and so they were celebrating they thought it was a good thing of course they didn't know so it's not their fault or how could they know but the way it was described to them was like as if something good had happened and then so later we found that was of course not the case and it was a horrific incident where i think i saw one report where even the state tv said 40 people had died and then later said no it was four people but again uh, we would be uh, i think not very intelligent to trust those numbers um, in any way, which, whichever one it was. But so it, it was just very heartbreaking to, to see that and, and to see what people um, are going through and then seeing the outpouring of support that we saw people driving towards um, the prison to to help or get involved and, and every, all the chaos that ensued from that. So it, it's just been day after day of seeing these these images and these videos has been very painful and taking a toll on all of us. And so it's something we do have to be aware of that this will likely be a marathon, not a sprint, keeping ourselves okay to keep going to support in whatever ways that we can. And, and as far as that support making a difference, um, when you, I'm sure you've experienced this yourself, posting things online and you wonder if it makes a difference. And again, the impact and the result, I don't think you should focus on the immediacy of it to see something. But um, I've gotten so many messages from people in Iran thanking me, and then I see thank you other people just when you post something and it's almost a humbling experience to be thanked for doing something so small for people who are going through something so difficult. But it's something that every time I post something, um, those messages come through. And so uh, it's it really the least that we can do. But I hope people keep showing up. There's protests all over the world this weekend, everywhere you are. There's many protests tomorrow here at UCLA. Um, on Tuesday, if you're depending on when you listen to the show, m right now it's Monday night, Tuesday at 11:30 a.m. in front of Royce Hall. Students are meeting there, or and it's open to the public, so you don't have to be a student to, to be there. So please look for those and and show up. The consistency really is so important. You know, I wanted to to shift to um, what we're seeing in Iran. There's so much that has been said and to be said about it, but this element of the, what I've heard being referred to as a gender apartheid, basically, that um, half the population gets treated as 
less than as second-class citizens, something that uh, we, we're, we're seeing there the whole time that um, this regime has been in power. And how horrible and horrific this is, and this looking down on um, people, and something that we unfortunately see happen, and something we have to be even mindful ourselves that we can do, um, but seeing it done in a systematic level is just uh, so devastating and then so um, disheartening when you consider how it hurts everyone when a society does that. So any group, any whatever it might be, even a small group, um, and but especially a large one, is going to do best when all the people of that group get to express their best part of themselves um, for the team, for the group, of course, for themselves as well. And so what we see in Iran is that that's not the case at all, that we don't get the best of everyone. Um, most people get oppressed in some way, women more than others. And so we don't get to see the best of all the people there. Um, and the society pays the price, and that's what we see, is that they have not advanced, if anything, have gone backwards overall in recent decades, especially compared to other um, countries, other places. But this issue of power is also one that is very critical, and and power is another one of those topics that we can talk about at length and has been written about at length. What does it even mean? Uh, social power, political power, is power even real? Because in some ways it's a social thing. Uh, it kind of is like, in that way, that it's a social construct, very meaningful in a way, but also social construct mean that its value comes from um, others and all of us collectively. So we hear the same thing about money and that money is a social construct. So it doesn't mean it's insignificant, but it does mean that money has value because we all give it value. So we all think that this dollar is worth something that it could be exchanged for goods to a certain degree. And of course, there's global markets and things that affect how much the value is of that dollar. But really money all it has, it's a social understanding that it can change. Markets can go up and down based on things that happen, but also things like confidence and things that affect that just like a stock goes up and down. Similarly, power, someone is the, the, the king, the president, the prime minister until they're not. So if we see like a coup or some kind of a revolution, sometimes someone who has power, if it's this real thing, it can all of a sudden be taken away. And so it's simplified form to think of it this way, but if all the people rise up against the person who's in power, then the person in power doesn't really have power. They have to have some level of acceptance of the legit legitimacy of their power in order for it to be their social uh, construct in that sense has to hold it up to that degree. But making that happen, having everyone rise up against, uh, is, is difficult. And on top of that, this is where, of course, it's not just easy to call it a social construct. There's real things there that the people in power and person in power has resources at their disposal and has things that they can use that the people don't have or definitely don't have in the same degree. Things like military force and resources, finances to do things. So there is some level of it that is real. But for me, this part that I, I think is so significant and I've talked about recently and I want to reiterate is looking at how power is used. I mentioned this um, in the previous segment that looking at what do the people want, and of course it's never going to be uh, homogeneous because people are not a monolith to all want the same things, but when the people don't want you to be in power, and 
a lot of them don't, a very uh, majority of them don't, then what is it that keeps you wanting that power? And we can see quite clearly it's about the person in power themselves, not the people that they are serving. Because in essence, just like an economy should serve the people, not the people serve an economy, the government should serve the people, not the people serve a government. And so if people don't want you to have that power, what is it that you are in fact doing or what is your purpose there? And that's exactly what we're seeing in Iran is that the people in power are not there to serve the people, they are there to serve themselves. And so they likely would justify it by saying, well, they know better because it's coming from this either religious place, it's a theocracy, so they know better even um, this way of almost looking at the people like children. Well, just like a child might think they want to do something and they like it and they want to do it, but we know it's not good for them. Similarly, they might want to disobey these laws and rules, but we know what's best for the people and what's best for society. And I'm not even sure all of them will believe that. I think for the most part, what we see is people having power and clinging to that power at any cost, human or otherwise, um, because they want to, to keep that. They want to hold on to that. And so it's very unfortunate to see this, but that is really what we see, is that the government is no longer serving the people. It likely hasn't for a few decades now, um, but serving themselves and those few who have it. And, and it's really heartbreaking when you take uh, you zoom out a bit and you see so many people suffering and so few people doing well. But that's the situation we see there. And it's a situation to different degrees and in different ways. Uh, we've seen and continue to see, seen in history and continue to see. It, it reminds me of um, the book Capital and Ideology by Thomas Piketty, where he talks about uh, economic equality and how it's existed throughout history. And there's been ideologies that have helped always explain why it exists in this way. So, for example, previously there might be that there was people that were noble or let's say came from God. Even we still see remnants of that when we have royalty and royal families, which to me does not make sense. But we have royal families that somehow it's just they are better than everyone else. They are of a different station. So we still see that type of inequality, for example, with the UK. The royal family has billions and billions and billions of dollars and all this wealth. And for what reason? Really, there's hard to give a justification other than they somehow should have it and deserve it because of who they are. So we see that type of ideology um, or, you know, uh, now we, we talk about the uh, meritocracy, which itself can be exaggerated. Of course, putting work in, having effort can make a difference. But what we see, for example, in the United States is that uh, generational wealth and people who have money continue to have money and those who do not it's much harder to build wealth can you do it yes but is it much harder and is it unfair when you look at it uh, an overall scale absolutely so there's always these reasons we have come up with to justify things being the way we they are and people in power will always come up with reasons why they should keep that power and so we see that the power becomes more about serving them than others. To me, this is a huge red flag that something is not right there. But unfortunately, many political systems are set up that way, where the people in power get benefits. So, of course, you're going to want to have that rather than the power is a responsibility or an authority. Even you get to serve others, to help others. We tend to be far from that even in other countries. 
Uh, we don't really have that. So we do see the people don't want what's happening there. The people don't want the government, but overthrowing that power is very, very difficult, even if it is a social power that is very difficult to, to overcome. And that's what we're hopeful for, for the people of Iran. But it, we know it will be quite a path for them. Um, I don't want to speak much more about some of these ideas because it's bringing up different themes in the book that I, I'm reading right now on revolutions by several authors that I mentioned in the first segment that I'll talk about on Wednesday's show, looking at understanding how revolutions work and don't work, what goes into the ones that seem to be successful, what doesn't seem to be there, how we understand and study them to better understand what's happened, even has some insights about um, the revolution in Iran, 77 to 79, which brought us the current regime. So it's been very informative for me to understand that uh, some of those concepts and to bring those in, into light for me. But I don't want to speak more on those because I'll talk in more detail about that on Wednesday, about what how that might relate to what's going on. And, and spoke with some of the authors. It doesn't seem <clears throat> like any of them can come on the show Wednesday, but to have some of them on in the future because I want to understand these concepts of social movements and how they lead to revolutions and what are the different outcomes or concepts that are related to that. But I'll save that for Wednesday show. Let's go to our last commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. In the last segment, I wanted to focus on children. Um, as I mentioned, you know, of course, any life that's taken and lost um, is heartbreaking. But when it's a child, it does hurt even more. Of course, even for us just watching, but only imagine for uh, the family and, of course, the parents experiencing that loss. And we've seen many children that we know of have been killed in what's been going on in Iran, and that's been just uh, devastating, heartbreaking, and I hope the international community will take notice of that. Um, as I mentioned, every life lost unnecessarily is, is painful. There is something about a child's life being lost. It does feel even more unfair, even if we don't acknowledge it as much explicitly. We do have the sense that a life uh, people have the right to live a certain length of life that we assume to be the human lifespan. And when they that gets cut short, it does hurt. If I tell you a 90-year-old was killed, of course you'll be sad and it might be heartbreaking to think of an old person getting hurt in some way or uh, feeling that vulnerability. But of course, a three-year-old losing their life, we do feel something different. And so it's been heartbreaking to hear those reports. Um, also seeing the videos of children that are protesting or involved. I'm sure many of you have seen the, the video of these three young girls who are kind of um, marching, skipping, and saying Zan Zendegi Azadi and waving, uh, I don't know if it's their own head jobs with something like scarves as they're walking. And there's an anger and an intensity. I'm sure, of course, they've seen people doing something similar, but they feel something. But it is so, for me, that video brings up so many feelings. Of course, this the bravery and the courage of of, of these girls and, and women and all the people and what they do. But it's also heartbreaking to see that that's the experience and the world that they 
have been born into and the country that they've born into um, and so many others as well for generations now have had to experience this uh, a picture I saw and I retweeted it was a very young child taking a picture it looked like some kind of official picture I don't know if it was like for a passport or for a school picture and you know, there's a lot of childlike features like her shoes and things that you see, but then she's wearing something like a, a headscarf to cover her hair for the picture. Like, you know, this is something that has to be done and it's the right way to do things. And you see this look on her face looking so despondent. So, uh, you know, if I can also say as if part of her light is being covered or or the shine is taken out from her eyes because of these these things. And that's what's so... Uh, sad and heartbreaking for me there's there's so many levels to the pain and the experiences that people have but seeing what children go through especially young girls in Iran and I can't even speak to it in, in enough detail having not been there and not really being able to speak on the experience but seeing what they they go through um, is really really heartbreaking for me to see that they experience life a certain way and they don't get to experience life to a degree um, related to that, uh, we have seen that the young people have been at the forefront of what's going on and very much leading a lot of what's happening or being out there. And so Gen Z, as they're often called, and I don't know the exact cutoffs, um, but every since I was a kid, I've seen this. Uh, every time there's whatever the younger generation is, the older generations are always annoyed by them, um, always think they're lazy and immoral and don't have values and you know all, all these negative things it's just i think it's pretty much throughout history you do see that this happened that the older generation looks at the younger generation and thinks they're lost and don't know what they're doing and all these things and of course some of it is that youth is supposed to be some of those things that they're lost because they're still finding their way and finding themselves they are also lost because some of what the world has created is not right and unfair and they're orienting themselves to that and trying to actually disorient from the parts that are not fair to possibly change that so so much of what we do and we accept as just the way things are well if a new generation comes in they're going to challenge those things so wait a second why does it have to be this way and so anytime you challenge how things are sometimes things are the way they are for good reason and they should stay that way and so they might even challenge those things and you might get frustrated because you're like, well, they're challenging some of the good parts. Um, but often they will challenge a lot of the bad things too, that things should not be this way. Things should not um, be, you know, accepted this way. This is unfair and doesn't have to be that way. And the hard part is if you're living in the world that is that way, you might not be able to differentiate between what's the good and the bad. And so they have fresh eyes that might actually give a fresh perspective. So as much as we like to at times look down on the younger generations or think they're just disruptive in a negative way, they also can be disruptors in a very positive way and recognize that things are not okay the way that they are. And something I've seen of Gen Z, and again, and maybe it's every generation who can feel this way because they're doing the things that I was just talking about, uh, but they're very much not accepting of the status quo. Of, okay, why does it have to be this way or it doesn't have to be this way or why do you do it that way? Some of it could be the proliferation of things like social media that people get exposed to more variety of 
of perspectives, experiences, ideas, notions than could have happened in previous generations. Even this current generation, Niran, um, even with at times limited access to certain things, but they probably have found ways around them. Uh, they see how things are in the rest of the world and realize life doesn't have to be the way that it is there, that their experience doesn't have to be the experience, that it's not right, it's not fair, it doesn't have to um, be this way for them and for the other people. And so they don't want to accept it. They don't think they have to accept it. And so I think there's always a balance to be struck between understanding why things are the way they are, but being open to changing them. And we see this even in fields like science, where as much as science is supposed to be objective, um, self-correcting, and forward-thinking, and uh, skepticism is actually encouraged because you shouldn't accept things the way they are. Everything must be uh, proven, or if we don't really want to use that word of being proven, but supported by evidence, and especially not refuted by evidence and data. Uh, we see even within science, there is resistance to change, resistance that when a newcomer comes in with new thoughts and ideas and new data, it doesn't get uh, incorporated into the new way of thinking for longer than one would think based on just if things were purely objective. So this is not to say science does not move forward, it's not progressive, I think it definitely is, and it's not that it's going to have the right answers or really aren't pure right answers, but they have the best answers at this given time based on being the ones that are experts in that field. But nonetheless, when we look at the culture of science, we do still see some of this resistance to change. And so it is a balance. There's a push and a pull that some things are the way they are and they should say that way. But if we accept the status quo as somehow right, we'll miss on a lot of ways that it's not right and to make it more right. So I think the younger generation, something that we can get from them is that they can look at things with fresh eyes and give us that perspective. So even if I had to talk to both the young and the old in some kind of um, dichotomous way, for the old, it would be okay, you recognize you do things a certain way, but when you hear the voice of the young, recognize that they have a fresh perspective, that just like you looked at the generations before you and the way things were done and thought so much of it was backwards or so much of it needed to change, the same thing has to be happening now unless you think you've reached some level of perfection, that we've achieved some level of, you know, the, the epitome of everything, which of course no one would outwardly acknowledge, then you must accept things are not right with everything and need to be changed. And that's something we always tend to feel, because of course you can't think more advanced or see more advanced than the current day. You are in today, you can't be in the future. Some people are more able to do that or see, look forward, but we tend to feel that way, even with technology. We can imagine in the future things will be advanced, but when you think back, let's say, to the 1800s, like, oh my gosh, they were so backwards back then, they couldn't do this, they couldn't do that, but we tend not to have that same humility to recognize that in the future they're going to look at us and think, how simple was it the way, oh look, they use cell phones this way to talk to each other, they're going to think it's funny, just like we might think a landline, uh, you know, a rotary phone is funny, or things or telegram is funny as far as the technology goes. So to the old, I hope there is some recognition that, yes, there's some things you know and experience can be valuable in those ways, but we need to be challenged if we want to grow. And to the younger generation, I hope as much as you can see things with fresh eyes and you can have new perspectives and you could not accept things the way they are, and that can be great and contribute that type of skepticism and challenging and questioning in a way to recognize that at times there will be reasons for things being the way 
that they are that you might not understand. So having some level of balance. It doesn't mean we throw the baby out with the bathwater and get rid of everything and start new. Um, so we do want to accept that there is good, even if there are things that need to be changed. Because I think there's something that we can gain um, from one another if we have that perspective that the experience has value it's in itself, but the experience can also blind us because we just think it has to be the way that it was. And to the older generation, all of us who are not, let's say, in the very young generation, um, we have to accept that change always feels bad, especially at the beginning. So we always will resist change. If someone comes and says, you know, you should do it this way, it might be better, or this thing is unfair about your system, we should be ready that our default is to justify things being the way they are. That no, 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 it's supposed to be this way because if we don't do this way, this is going to happen or that's going to happen. So it has to be that way. So we're always going to resist that change, but hopefully we can recognize that, that that resistance is the, the first step. And often that, that does happen. And this also goes to the younger generation. Be ready that when you challenge the old ways of doing things, don't expect the older generation to go, oh, yeah, you're totally right. Let's just change it starting today. They're going to resist. They almost have to resist. It almost makes sense for them to resist at some level or need a little bit more evidence or convincing that things need to be another way, that we can uh, recognize that that's going to be the default. You see this with a lot of people. Uh, most people are like this. If you ask them something, especially if they don't like it, their answer is always, almost always no at first. So you say, can I just no? Like a lot of parents are that way. Their kid says, can I go there? No. And they're saying no really because they're speaking from anxiety, speaking of wanting to control, speaking of not wanting something to happen to you. And so they say no first, but then often if you give them some time, if you look at what their concerns are about the issue, if you uh, give them some feedback from what you're going to do there or how you're going to make sure you're okay, they might be more likely to move towards yes. So that's always going to be the way. But uh, I do want to commend the younger generation who, again, often gets a lot of negative attention and there's many articles and even just tweets and posts about this generation and how they are entitled or lazy or this or that, some of the stereotypes that you might hear. Um, but also some of that entitlement comes with this notion that, well, maybe there's rights that we all should have that we're entitled to. So maybe that's okay. Maybe sometimes we've accepted that um, we don't have all of our rights or not everyone has all of their rights and it's just the way it is or it has to be. Why is, why is that the case? It doesn't have to be the case. And we do see this, that successive generations tend to be more progressive in who they want to extend all rights to all human rights to. We even see this, let's say, with the LGBTQ community, even here in the United States, that you talk to the younger generation and they sometimes don't even understand what the question is about. Why are we even wondering, for example, about same-sex marriage or issues like giving all rights to, to certain people? Everyone should get all of the rights. That's just human rights should go to all humans, all human rights to all humans. And so they have that perspective on things that maybe can be good, some level of that entitlement. Maybe sometimes we're not giving ourselves enough credit or getting what we should deserve. And that's something that they do. So I hope that as we unify around supporting the people of Iran, we're going to have people that are from a cross-section of society, young and old, very Iranian to not that Iranian and different cultures. The Iranian di diaspora is in almost every country all over the world. And so they're going to be people that are Americanized. I don't know. 
I don't know how you call it in other countries, but whatever it is that they are, they're going to be more that way too, but they're going to be coming together. Really what it's all about is human rights. And of course, you might feel more of a connection to the people of Iran, especially if you live there or it's your heritage in some way. But I hope that it really boils down to human beings deserve to be treated with respect. Human beings deserve to have their human rights. Human beings deserve to be um, given the comfort of living in a country that sees them as a full citizen, whether they are man, woman, otherwise. And we all want those things. And so again, I reiterate, I hope you will continue to support the people of Iran in whatever ways that you can, especially by amplifying their voices, sharing their stories. We cannot speak for them. We can only amplify the things that they say. We can't tell them what to do. We can just share what they are doing and what they are going through so that the international community is not blind to what's happening because that's the ultimate goal of the government there is to do what they want with impunity but we cannot allow that to happen so i hope you'll continue to do whatever you can i will continue to to talk about it on the show but see what else i can do because we all can do some things that are unique to ourselves and some things that we might do collectively like coming together for protests and different events like that hope to see you this weekend all right that brings us to the end of tonight's show a big thank you to Ghazale here in the studio you've been listening to In Session with Dr. Farid Ulaqui San Zendegi Azadi Music